Film runs through our veins and continuously makes us interact with it. I'm your host, Edward Frumkin, and this is Real Print. In this episode, contributor Jonah Desdo and I discuss the films of Pixar, critiquing and admiring this production company, as well as animation is cinema, not a genre. Then I review Balloon Fest, Rachel Gregg's recommendation. Finally, in today's concluding thought, I talk about knowing where to be at the right time. Some portions are recorded on Zoom, so bear that in mind when you hear the audio and enjoy the show. Thank you for coming to today's episode, Jonah. Thanks for having me, Eddie. Ready to talk some tunes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some cartoons as we do our best to have some episodes to dedicate to a specific production company or film franchise like we did earlier with the MCU. Like after several breaks from film festivals and some news, I really want to dive into one today with Pixar and it's I think will be my favorite film animated film company just because the amount of formative experiences I have from watching Pixar's and I'm happy to share with Jonah today. I'm so excited to talk Pixar with you. Like you said, it is we are the bread and butter of Pixar's demographic. Um, with my age of 25, I mean Toy Story came out a few years before I was born. So I grew up with Pixar and that was always, and still, I, in my opinion, is the quintessential of American animation. Mm-hmm. Same for me here, like Toy Story was out in 95. It became uh, one of the first feature length computer animated films where I won a special achievement Oscar for that. As well as that, I did not know that the things before some home videos like knickknack for finding nemo and tin toy they have done a lot of shorts before the features oh that's just part of the fun going to the theater and enjoying the short before the film or what was once going to the theaters one of my biggest grievances with pixar is how the last two have not had a theatrical release yeah and i'm just excited to see how they've evolved as there's even like, I just want to, before going to, like, like the Pixar theory and whatnot, but, like, I would say that Pixar has a lot of key imaginations to it, as there's always um, great anthropomorphic, I don't know the term exactly, but <laughs> the talking animals and objects in our everyday lives, and I, I wish I could have a a toy soldier talk to me hey yeah learn a lucid dream and maybe you can Mm -hmm. and it does provide a lot of animation that uh, will influence like other work sometimes like it's just that because of the evolution of 3d animation i would forget what is a pixar movie or what is a disney movie with Bolt or Encanto and then uh, Luca for example it's just that uh, 
like Disney has done a lot of contributions to the brand of animation and it's suddenly becoming homogenous in ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to comment on what you said about creativity, which is also something that I think Pixar has had the lasting legacy that it has. Or something for what you might expect for like a Warner Brothers animation or Illumination now. It is very mundane. And also, obviously, there is a younger demographic is the target audience, where I do think Pixar has the leg over other ones, which sometimes I wish it would be a little bit more adult. But it does have themes and messages and especially dialogue and scripts that work for the younger audiences, but also something that you can also sink your teeth into and get caught up in the emotion. Um, and you get that with stuff like Monsters, Inc., um, where there's heart in humanity and characters that are not your stereotypical um, prince or princess, or even just like you meant like with that, with like, it's not just a dog or a cat that talks. Um, there's always that touch above everything else that is it gives Pixar that that special feeling that it's almost important that you're watching this, that if you're going to give your time to watch any animated movie, if you're going to give your time to watch something that is specifically targeted to children, you want to pick the thing that is unlike anything you've seen before. And I think Pixar has a great track record of doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I first saw like other Pixar movies, like Ratatouille and uh, even Up, but I did not expect like more of the darker territories that will come. Well, Up is more dark with death, while Ratatouille, it has a lot of innuendos that I would know later in life, like the spit or swallow, but they're <laughs> at times been able to show stuff that's not for a typical young audience. Yeah, we also take shots at film criticism and those dirty, heartless um, cowards that hide behind their screens. Well, we're open to that. And they even Anton of Ratatouille, like I just learned around fact one day at Scats of Anaheim in the restaurant industry, like you only know the critics just by the name. They never put in a real photo with their name because like if the chef sees that person, they'll know how to try to make that meal like as good as possible and will do a lot of last minute adjustments. Well, with a movie or any other product, it takes months in preparations for that. You can't actually just do some uh, mix up last minute. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I don't. I think that gives us the studios a bit more of benefit of the doubt to actually care about what critics are saying about some of their works um, than uh, with a chef in their restaurant. Mm -hmm. And uh, like with the shorts, like I sometimes, like I love the theatrical release shorts, like um, the UFO one and the, uh, yeah, Lifted and the Bow from uh, Turning Red's Dummy She. But like I sometimes, like I'm skeptical of like the spin-off um, Inside Out one or the spin-off Toy Story ones. I feel like that that's just for the DVD and home video releases. While mm -hmm. I am sometimes skeptic about the sequels and the spin-offs of uh, 
the Pixar films like Cars, Incredibles, Toy Story, because like there's just so much room for the additional new ways of telling stories and having to elevate Pixar's workers like Dami Shi and Sanjay Patel. And that I, I just, I, as I said earlier, like in the year when we talked about Lightyear, I was worried about if high was churning out sometimes. No, I'm right there with you. It's it's the double-edged sword for as much praise as Pixar gets with its creativity and originality. They always make sure they uh, remind you that they are a Disney product, that they are this million-dollar entertainment company. So you are going to see those sequels come in that are cash grabs. Um, even though there are more weight and craftsmanship done to them like let's say cars 3 for instance where you kind of have um animation that is truly fantastic um when the first trailer came out and it had the jokes for how serious it was um it's still very impressive for them to use their sequels as a way to try out new animation to show how much they're improving in that realm but at the end of the day that is in my opinion the worst part of pixar um is those influences where there are those cash grabs that take away the opportunity um, to show more original work. And I'm sure that in doing that, it adds the funding, it, it gets more voices at the table that brings the original work in. But I feel like we'd all like to see more original things like Turning Red um, or even Luca um, in the last two years and the last two to come out than your light years and what might become Cars 52. Mm-hmm. Cars 52. Yeah, that doesn't sound good things, but like for some sequels, like the Toy Stories, it's my love about the, those sequels is that you're introducing these characters as it's new for a first time audience. Like you don't need to know what the hell Buzz Lightyear and Woody did in the earlier movies and the, that there is always a different turn, a different aspect of just seeing the story alone. Like there have been like some good sequels that uh, Pixar has done. And uh, like, I just sometimes where like, can't just be like both entertainment and a well-thought story instead of just a business commodity when we have these many sequels. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Toy Story obviously is the franchise that stands out that kind of goes above the mark because it's not to say that if something's a sequel um or the third in a trilogy it always means that it's bad but usually when you do see it with a big studio or that's pitched as a blockbuster the art definitely comes second to the money and with disney the art always comes second to the money um but when you know it's there you know it's under the surface and you know a lot of the creatives involved you just you wish you'd see see it a lot more often than you do. Mm-hmm. I love how you phrased that, and that I do now want to get into the Pixar theory because, like, I do agree with how uh, John Negroni, that I think is the person who have created this theory that's been well popularized, where all the movies are connected to each other. Do you think that? all the Pixar movies are connected besides the main Pixar and the credits? 
Yeah, I, I, I think that there are. I, I have to do a little bit more research in the theory, so I'm interested to hear your in-depth with that. But I think Pixar not only like laid this theory with the little Easter eggs that they hit him through all their films, um, kind of similar to the Tarantino universe, but I mean, Pixar doing this and the excitement that people had, especially in those early days of YouTube where like the connection videos are coming out, it's really showed the multiverse theory in all entertainment right now. Um, I mean, we're talking about how Pixar films are connected um, for years now, having a lot of fun with that. And it's like studios were like, oh, you like these little connections? Well, we're going to put every single property that we possibly can into Space Jam sequel um, and have fun with that. So I'd love to hear your insights on it and what how you think that this might have like span and spun into the multiverse of all all things mixed together now. Well, all I know is that uh, John Ratzenberger will voice almost everything in the Pixar movie, whether it's a random car or um, the, the pig in Toy Story. I forgot the character's name, but I will agree with how, even if they intentionally did it or not with Brave, about how the magic of animals talking and even toys, like there is even like a chronological timeline that I saw on the, the settings of the films. And I do see how they have all these different uh, anthropic characters that are able to provide life to instead of an inanimate object made it animated. <laughs> <laughs> What are your thoughts on what I just said? Um, yeah, it's, I think I think it's fun. I think it adds a bit of a layer to the enjoyment where you're not necessarily sitting down to watch um, a Pixar film and break it down like if it was a part of a, a wave, a new wave, um, where I think this long-lasting thing has it. Um, or it would make sense with the... what is So the theory goes that... You, said, you mentioned Brave, that the magic of brave made animals talk which is kind of in just spilled over which can make toys talk and everything mm -hmm. i didn't mention brave yes yeah i think that i think that's fun um again even if it's not on purpose um there's a lot of interpretation um with films where a lot of the fun has the meaning that you give it to it afterwards um where I think the Pixar theory kind of is that on a grander scale. Um, it's almost a communal aspect of people just trying to find things together. It's like a big discovery um, for people to unearth the new thing in that. And whenever a new Pixar movie comes out, um, there's the fun way to like find the connection there. Um, and you would think that the more, the more fire that gets onto it and the more new films come out, the more, um, creatives and the filmmakers are going to tease audiences to like either send people off in a different direction or fuel the flames even more mm -hmm. yeah the pixar theory is one of those um main things that become a huge domino effect when uh, there are other franchises that will love to do this type of theory like i think with definitely the superhero ones but even in a subtle tone with A24 movies or how when some directors like Alfred Hitchcock or Guillermo del Toro say that I make 
one movie for my life. So it's just crazy how like, are we seeing just one movie in different sections or are you seeing so many different projects under this one company or brand? Mm -hmm. Twitter would explode, but I'd be very interested in the A24 cinematic universe. Yeah, I would too. Like A24, like I don't mean to go off topic, but just for a little bit audience, but <laughs> um, A24, I feel like that it has moments where it's going to have different sensibilities and the different entrance of different universes where you thought that's going to be like what you expect in one movie, but no, you're going to be thrilled with the Gen Z party of bodies, 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 and mm -hmm. uh, even just the multiverse literally in everything, everywhere, all at once. So I do see how Pixar have influenced other production companies and brands in the, in the game of the X companies theory. Absolutely, absolutely. Today's review, Balloon Fest. I first saw Balloon Fest in class less than three years ago, so I didn't know what to expect out of this short. I may have heard of the film once or twice, but have no intimate knowledge beforehand. After seeing the film, I saw that a couple of MU alums made the film. Those alums are director Nathan Truesdale of Ascension and co-producer Jamie Goncalves of Dos Estaciones. Charlotte Cook of Field of Vision will also produce the film too. It is a darkly comedic documentary about the 1986 Balloon Fest in Cleveland. It is told through archival newsreels and the life spoiled the movie. It is essential to note that this festival became a catastrophe. The event was intended to be a harmless fundraising publicity stunt. Still, the balloons drifted to Lake Erie and landed in the surrounding area, causing problems for traffic in a nearby airport. The 1988 copy of the Guinness Book of World Records recognizes the event as a world record for the largest ever mass balloon release, with nearly 1,500 balloons launched. However, because of the damage caused, Guinness no longer measures environmentally unsound events like balloon releases. I am impressed with the number of balloons in the air. It is hard to think of individual balloons becoming giant monsters when merged. I never expected a strange version of the movie Up to happen in reality. The film's humor comes from people's unintelligence to planning and making this event. They were unaware of the environmental effects of releasing 1.5 million balloons. Balloon Fest makes the people involved a joke. However, it is astounding to see that it is not made up. I enjoy seeing how Truesdale builds up the moment and goes back and forth between the absurdity and excitement of the event. This exchange escalates the climax and shows how archival newsreels provide humor to the story. 
It is embarrassing that this environmental disaster will haunt Cleveland for many years. Truesdale sends us a reminder to plan things with care and many effects. He similarly does this in his follow-up short, The Water Slide. You never know how people think. While they have good intentions, people remember you more for your actions and that there can be a thing as too much of balloons. And that's my take. As we spoke earlier of the the family aspect of animation and how at times in America it has only been for um, like mainly specific for kids. Like there has been a good op-ed from Phil Lord and Chris Miller after the Disney princess actors, Lily James and um, I forgot the, oh yeah, Hallie Bailey, like the singer Hallie Bailey and um, the actress who played Jasmine in Aladdin, where they basically talked about how they presented um, somewhat in a controversial way. Naomi Scott is the, the Jasmine actor, and Phil Lord and Chris Miller really want to make sure that animation is accessible for all, and that it's a cinema, not a genre, and that they wrote a good op-ed after this controversy where they want to have the respective frameworks and that animation is not a lower art form that they posted on Variety. And like they really want to just even let people know that the animators are not getting enough like respect and the a good amount of wages to work in the industry. And like, I forgot the campaign's name, but we, they do want to address how animation really wants to be uh, a form that's taken seriously and not and be taken in consideration as a live action fiction movie. And I think that's an important campaign to have. And I think it's one of those things that everyone can agree upon. Um, money speaks in Hollywood, obviously. And you can see animated movies, especially with Pixar and Disney, have incredible um, financial payouts. Um, so with this, though, I think a lot of complication is just how easily it has been written off in the past. Um, and I do believe some of that is justified based off of the like quality and basically the premise of just of just like studios just like oh kids like fart jokes kids like this where um you do see a lot of animated movies that are beyond lowbrow that are just it doesn't value the opinion of a younger audience um it doesn't trust a younger audience to withhold uh, more complex topics and complicated themes um so it's just filled with just marketing research of like this joke works that joke works um colorful characters um where i think that there is the campaign to, campaign to have it taken serious i do think we need to have the call for quality as well 
that mm-hmm. you're not about to just see uh, some the third sequel of a Minion movie that's premises butts and bananas um, and just look at that like that's that is cinema that is the art um, because I don't think on that scale you're ever really going to see that breakthrough you need stuff that Lord and Miller produces that has that creativity that really tries its best um, to reach into for the younger audience and for with themes or ways to put things and creativity and imagination that any other audience can enjoy um, to get that. But I really think there needs to be a call for it. There needs to be people with that interest um, for it to even get the time of day. If not, if you're just going to leave it up to the studios, it's just going to be pushed off of lowbrow and what what seems like it might work is what's going to work. Mm-hmm. And many of the statements that many people like Miller and Lord are talking about are under a hashtag called New Deal for Animation, which is a movement of animation workers demanding equal pay, treatment, and recognition alongside their contemporaries working live action. And it has picked up momentum during negotiations for a new contract between the Animation Guild, Yahtzee Local 839 slash SAG-AFTRA, and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, where there's definitely going to be a lot of attention within this movement, and hopefully we get to see animators having the full respect and the pay that they deserve after putting up the amount of hours that it takes for the the drawings to be seen in movement. Absolutely, it's not it's not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, like before I wrap it up, like what is your favorite Pixar moment or um, movie? There's a lot to choose from. Like I said, it's so influential in my childhood. But oh boy, I am an Up guy. I love Up so much. It's my favorite animated movie. Um, I had an Up phone case for a while uh, for two reasons. One, I think it's really good. Um, I think the, the very beginning of Up is so beautifully well made. Um, you watch it and you have a similar response to it as you would for um, a silent era film where you don't need dialogue you don't need this or that you just you need to tell a story um and you need to use the things you can only use in cinema of just like uh shots um obviously animated um it's it's the montage uh you need the montage to come together to invoke cinema in its truest form and i think up does that in a way that's unprecedented to anything else in animation um as you go through carl and ellie's life um, you feel the joy, you feel the sadness with them. Um, and then as the film goes on, I, cause the beginning is what's talked about the most, but overall, I think the adventure of the film, um, is something that anyone of any age can sink into and get lost in. Um, it's also incredibly funny. Uh, Peter Doctor is behind that. And I think he's behind a lot of Pixar's greatest films and most imaginative ones. So that's the one for me that I think will always hold a special place in my art. Um, when you get older and you're like, oh, I don't really like animated movies as much anymore. You think you're too good for that. Um, when I was in that stage, I ended up watching Up at a family member's house and I was hooked. And I was like, oh, my opinion is wrong. I'm not too old for anything. This is fantastic. So I hope a lot of movies happen um, 
of the same quality for more audiences, um, especially audiences who think they are too old for animation to sink their teeth into. What's yours? For me, I don't really have a, like a good favorite movie because I love several movies, but I have one favorite scene, which is Toy Story 3 when all the characters are in the the trash, like the incinerator oh. fire. Like it was a sad scene. Like I honestly thought that would this be the end of Toy Story and that uh, there was a great music composed by Ray Newman or Michael Giacchino. I forgot the composer, but it was a well-composed score where I was in the move of like facing the end and Lost of the Bear obviously got his end the stick at the end of the movie, but then like it had the greatest callback of all time for a film moment of franchise, which is ooh, the claw. Like you cannot <laughs> place that in the better moment. Like you needed some form of callback, whether it was like decades ago and that it was a moment that's really struck upon me and how you can use moments of homages or Easter eggs or famous quotes at the right moments that has that can change the direction of uh, the movie. Absolutely. That's, that's a great one. Um, I mean, that is, uh, that is such an iconic scene. And if you're a little younger, it's probably terrifying, but terrifying is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need all those terrifying and dark, sad, and happy emotions when we see animation and animation to cinema. And I hope you have a good day, Jonah. I hope you have a great day, Eddie. Today's concluding thought Knowing where to be at the right time, I attended a film screening in Williamsburg on Sunday by using the Q and L trains as my transportation to get there. I also used those two trains to get back to my place. I laid down on my bed after several hours of being in non-air-conditioned rooms when I got there. Soon, my brother told me that there was a shooting and a murder on the Q train once when he heard me come in. I was scared that this could be me. I checked the newscast, it happened up around to Manhattan, and it happened at 11.45 a.m. on Sunday. I was relieved that I had no plans to go there through the Q train at the moment, but I needed to know that any moment was my last moment on Earth. That was one of the things that I knew coming in when moving to a metropolitan area of any city in the U.S. I have friends saying that they went from Washington Square Park to a pizza place and back to this park and there was the do not cross tape at a section of the park when they returned as they later found out a stabbing happened when they left. These things reinforce what my guardian thinks of NYC and their repetitive thoughts of going to take a bus or Uber to go somewhere further. Even though it can happen anywhere, I need public transit because public transit, particularly trains, really get to places where I attend to go most of the time. Honestly, this event doesn't bother me about avoiding subways. I am thankful that I went at the right moment. You need to schedule your day and have a reason why to be in places 
you're not familiar with, you can't control people and the scene. I have to acknowledge that my financial situation and not like to drive in New York City, which I only do bi-weekly for groceries, make me feel calmer for public transit and trains. I know that others may not feel the way I do about taking public transit, but I hope there will be better gun control laws so that shootings do not happen. I want to send my condolences to the friends and family members of Daniel Enriquez here in New York City and to the friends and family members of the students and teachers that we lost at Robb Elementary in Texas. And that's today's concluding thought. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Real Print. This episode's music includes Continuum Mutation, courtesy of Kama, Like Clockwork by Benjamin Kling, courtesy of Epidemic Sounds, and Shimmering by Rafa Orchestra, courtesy of Epidemic Sounds. This episode is co-produced and edited by Anish Katu and Edward Frumpkin. Please check out this episode's notes and links, as well as reviews, award, and seasonal predictions and essays written by yours truly at realprint.org. That is R-E-E-L print.org. This is Edward Frumpkin signing off.